Welcome back to Product Thinking. I am Kyle Evans. And today we're talking about death by data, avoiding analysis paralysis by taking action. So let me paint a picture for you, Um, a meeting or a scenario that you might be familiar with. So you're in a meeting and somebody tells you that is a great idea. We should gather some more information on it. Do some more interviews, do some research, pull some data and see what that tells us. It's a good direction though. And you say, well, can you help me understand what more you're looking for? We've done all of that. We've got the data here. We've analyzed it. It looks interesting. We, you know, we want to try it out. Nothing big, but we want to move forward. And of course, the response, something along the lines of, well, I've got to run, but you know, check with the reporting team. They can help you get some more information. And then we'll circle back. And with that, you continue to go in circles and circles. Another week or two or three, as you do additional research and gather data, look at the market and do all of those things as you're stuck in analysis paralysis, you know, continuing to research and find more information, but never actually doing anything. So that is a slightly dramatized scene that some of you are familiar with. I certainly am familiar with it, having been through that sort of thing many, many times uh, or variations of it in trying to get new features or experiments or processes or any variety of things pushed forward as those ideas (laughs) go to die somewhere because we get stuck in analysis paralysis. So that is when we get stuck or frozen over analyzing an idea to the point where we never take action on it. We do so much research and planning that we delay action for weeks or months or forever. Uh, Sometimes, you know, all of this thinking and research and information gathering can be good when we have a really important decision to make. But most of our decisions aren't like that. You know, we gather far much more information and make far better decisions by actually doing something, by acting, you know, taking the the right amount of information and moving forward rather than trying to get all of the information before we do anything. So what does that look like? What causes our paralysis, our failure to act? Uh, You know, there are a number of causes for this. As I've been looking through it and thinking about it, both in my experience and in the experience of others, and I've narrowed it down, (laughs) maybe not narrowed it down, to uh, what I think of as five of the key causes here. So first off, the difficulty in parsing the signal versus noise. Uh, I wrote about this a little while ago in Signal Versus Noise for product managers. Uh, It is an article that continues to be true Uh, And will probably continue to be true more and more as time goes on. Because we're in a time of information overload. It's so easy 
to get bombarded and bogged down with all of the information that we have. I was reading that the IDC estimates that we have gone from 1.4 zettabytes of data, which is 1.4 trillion gigabytes of data in 2010, to around 40 zettabytes or 40 trillion gigabytes of data in 2020. So that means we've nearly doubled our digital data every two years, which is absolutely incredible. Not just in what we've done in the past, but if we continue on that trend of doubling our digital data every two years, just imagine the amount of data that we are going to have. It's daunting because there's no end to the research and learning that we can do on any topic. But how much of that is really valuable? Sorting the signal from the noise is incredibly difficult. And that's one of the reasons we get caught up in this analysis paralysis is because there's so much that we can do that we do it. And we <laughs> we have a tough time sorting out the signal from the noise. Second is confusing motion with action. Uh, this happens, I think, really frequently to all of us. In his book, Atomic Habits, uh, which is a great book, uh, James Clear relates this story of a group of students from the University of Florida in a photography class. Uh, the professor divided them into two groups at the beginning of the semester. One group, he told, would be graded on the quantity of their work. So the number of photos that they, they took and developed and processed throughout the semester. And the other group would be graded on the quality of one photo. So one group, quantity, how many they were able to do during the semester. One group, they would take uh, their, their absolute best photo of the semester, and that was, would be what their grade would rest on. In the end, uh, interestingly, or maybe not if you kind of know the, the story or can guess it, the group that focused on quantity also produced the highest quality. Uh, because they got the repetitions in. They practiced over and over with composition and lighting until they perfected the art of what they were doing. While the group of students that was going to be graded on just one single photograph on the quality of that really spent most of the time researching and learning and talking about what made a perfect photo. And didn't spend hardly any time going out and actually taking photos and developing photos and developing that skill set. So in that book, uh, Atomic Habits, there's this paragraph, motion makes you feel like you're getting things done, but really you're just preparing to get something done. When preparation becomes a form of procrastination, you need to change something. You don't want to merely be planning. You want to be practicing. So confusing motion with action, uh, another huge part of analysis paralysis. Third, no direction or no map. Uh, if you don't know where you want to go, uh, it's easy to feel like you need to analyze everything before you decide. Uh, so I've seen this before. I've been part of several companies that didn't have a clear strategy or vision. 
So no one was exactly sure what to do, and they felt that they needed to protect themselves by analyzing everything extensively before moving forward. Uh, It was part of almost a risk mitigation strategy so that they could either avoid risk entirely or distribute that risk enough in a way that nobody would have to take any blame if things went wrong. Another part of this is even if you do have a vision or strategy, kind of a long-term goal, you may have no clear path of getting there. So even if you have that direction, you may not have a map of, of how to achieve something like that. So you may know that you want to you know, write a New York Times bestseller or make a million dollars or start a business, you know, something large and lofty, but have no idea how to get there. So breaking down that vision into actionable steps is often the map, but without that, you're paralyzed by indecision. So like the students in the story that we were talking about just before, you don't know how to move forward with taking the best picture So you theorize about it and actually never start doing anything about it. That is another way that we get paralyzed in in inaction is either not having that direction or not having it broken down into any way that we can take action on our direction. Fourth, paralyzed by fear. Uh, The fear of being wrong, uh, how we may look or appear to others how they will perceive us if we make the wrong decision. Uh, Because we often expect ourselves to be experts at everything, which is so funny sometimes because how few of us truly are experts at anything or should even consider ourselves experts at anything. But even so, you know, we want to avoid the idea that we aren't an expert at the things that we have either claimed or think that we should be experts in. We also fear the number of choices. So in a fascinating study known as the JAM experiment, researchers wanted to see if more choices affected the behavior of people. So buyers at a local grocery store saw either a selection of 24 jams. So jam as in like the peanut butter and jam that you eat on a sandwich. So a jam to taste test or six jams. And the results were really interesting. The 24 jam selection attracted more attention, but also was overwhelming to buyers who ended up purchasing less jam from that display. The six jam selection ended up getting less attention, but shoppers ended up buying more jam from that taste test and that display. Uh, The conclusion was that even though we are attracted to more options initially, we get overwhelmed by having too many choices. And so we often end up not being able to decide. We we get scared of too many options and end up paralyzed by that and end up not making a decision on those and end up not purchasing the jam or not deciding on some other course of action when there are too many choices. Finally, fifth, uh, the path of least resistance. Doing nothing is often the path of least resistance. And we find refuge in analyzing all the options and then changing nothing. And I have seen analysis paralysis 
used to avoid change. Uh, in one instance, one of my teams was asked to spend several months analyzing between vendors. We had already done this and had made a, a selection for a vendor to use, but the company and the leadership wanted us to do it again. So despite our best efforts, we spent months analyzing pros and cons, benefits and costs, and all of those things. And each round of meetings and analysis would raise a few more questions. And eventually, we spent so much time doing this research that it was too late to change which vendor we were using. So we ended up going with our original choice, the path of least resistance. <laughs> it gets, it's so easy to get caught up researching and analyzing and thinking about ways to tackle problems. But until we actually start working on them, we can't solve anything. So what is the antidote? I would argue that taking action, if the issue is paralysis, then the antidote is action. But how do we break out of overthinking, of overanalyzing, and move forward? How do we get ourselves, our teams, and even our companies in some cases, to stop overanalyzing every decision and start deciding and start taking action? Well, like I talked about before, there were five main causes for analysis paralysis. And so I've narrowed this down to five solutions to analysis paralysis, five things that we can do to take action. Number one, prioritize decisions. So some decisions we need to take slow, like I mentioned earlier, but most decisions we can move quickly on and walk back if necessary. And we need to understand the difference between these types of decisions and prioritize them accordingly. Uh, I wrote about Jeff Bezos and Amazon recently in another note. Uh, check that out uh, if you haven't yet. And they have a good approach for this. So in a shareholder letter, uh, Bezos wrote about this idea. And he said, some decisions are consequential and irreversible or nearly irreversible, one-way doors. And these decisions must be made methodically, carefully, slowly, with great deliberation and consultation. If you walk through and don't like what you see on the other side, you can't get back to where you were before. We call these type one decisions. But most decisions aren't like that. They are changeable, reversible. They're two-way doors. If you've made a suboptimal type two decision, you don't have to live with the consequences for that long. You can reopen the door and go back through. Type two decisions can and should be made quickly by high judgment individuals or small groups. As organizations get larger, there seems to be a tendency to use the heavyweight type one decision-making process on most decisions, including type two decisions. The end result of this is slowness, unthoughtful risk aversion, failure to experiment sufficiently, and consequently diminished invention. We'll have to figure out how to fight that tendency. I agree completely with that. I think most of the decisions in our organizations and product teams are type two decisions. We don't need to treat everything like a type one, one-way door. And yet we do that so often. We think that every decision needs to be uh, vetted and researched uh, and 
uh, thought through extensively before we can uh, before we can move on it. When in reality, what we need is experienced people uh, making thoughtful decisions uh, with the right amount of information uh, and understanding that if somewhere we make a decision that we need to walk back, that we can do that. And we should be using speed as an advantage and moving quickly. And that is where we get far more learning and far better decisions, which I'll talk about in a second. So second, time box your research. Uh, I personally love to research and learn. I could spend so much time researching and learning new things if that were an option, but it isn't. Uh, if you're familiar with Parkinson's law, it states that work will expand to fill the time allotted. That goes for research too. So you need to time box or put a time limit on it. How much time you will allow yourself and your team and your organization to research and learn and, and do that sort of thing so that you can actually make decisions and move forward because you will never learn all that you need to know. Uh, when I was first learning wood turning, I spent an inordinate amount of time reading and watching videos. Uh, and that was good to a point. I needed to understand the basics of what to do, but I also should have and needed to put a time limit on how much I was going to watch versus how much time I was actually going to spend at the lathe working. And I certainly aired initially on the side of watching too many videos at first before I got out in the garage and actually started turning wood. Uh, it was definitely ugly in the beginning, but it got a lot better with practice. And I still watch videos of you know those who are, are much better and much more experienced than I do, but I spend far less time watching and researching than I do actually doing. And I'm, I'm certainly a better practitioner for that. Um, so that's number two. Number three, do and iterate. Like time, like time boxing, your research, you have to do something and iterate on it. If you only ever watch videos of other people doing things, you'll never be able to do it yourself. But once you do it, you'll have something to build on. Uh, like my wood turning example, if I only ever watched other people do it, I would have an understanding of it, but I would never be able to take the tools and make something myself. But by actually getting out into the garage and doing it myself, I built up the understanding of what the people I was seeing were doing and you know how they were holding the tools, how they were doing it differently than I was how they were making passes at the wood and avoiding tear out and things like that. And then I was able to build on that. We can apply those same principles to anything that we're creating. So no amount of watching or looking at data or user interviews can help more than actually building something that we can put in the hands of our users. Uh, all of those things are important. I'm not trying to discount them at all because they are critical to the, the process of creating good software and good applications. But the best thing that we can do is actually build something and get it out there. It doesn't have to be extensive. It doesn't have to be time consuming. But it, the more that we do, 
the more that we can learn. Uh, because, you know, as, as a user, I can tell you all sorts of things, uh, but I won't actually know any of that. And you won't know any of that until we can actually get something in my hands or in your hands as a user and see how we all react to it. What are the things that work and don't work? What are the actual behaviors that we do? And then learn from that. So the idea of building, testing, and iterating on that is so, so critical to, to just talking about it, to just looking at data. Uh, we learn so much more from actually doing something and iterating on it. Number four, embrace being bad or good enough. <laughs> when we begin anything, we're going to be bad at it. We don't learn to walk by being great at walking. Uh, I was terrible at wood turning when I started wood turning. Uh, pretty much everything that we do, we start out bad at it. And so as soon as we can accept that, we can move on and start to become good at it. So embrace being bad, but also embrace good enough. Not every decision has to be perfect. And that's how we can get past this initial paralysis. Uh, Herbert Simon uh, came up with the term satisficing, which of course is the combination of uh, satisfying and sufficing. So he, he mashed those two together into satisficing. He, his research, research suggested that uh, this is really uh, one of two ways to make decisions or find solutions. And the other way is to maximize. So you have satisfice or maximize. Satisfice is finding something that will work well enough for our given constraints. Maximizing is continuing to look for the perfect solution. And what he found in his research is people who satisfice uh, are tend to be a lot happier. They can come to decisions much faster. And over the long term, they tend to be much happier, while those who maximize uh, take a lot longer to come to decisions and also tend to be far less happy uh, than those who satisfy. Because when we maximize, uh, we are never ever happy until we, tr we come to, or at least attempt to come to, a perfect solution. But unfortunately, perfect solutions never or rarely exist. So being able to decide that we have a good enough solution for what we're trying to achieve and being able to move forward with that is, is critical to getting past the paralysis of, uh, of the analysis, <laughs> the analysis paralysis that we've been talking about. So that was number four. Number five, making the decision the right one. Like I just said, there are often many right decisions. Unlike school, the real world is not a series of problems with the answers at the back of the book. So we can't spend our time fretting over if we got the exact right answer because there often isn't a single right answer. But what we can do is make the decision that we made the right answer. So rather than worry if there was a better solution that we could have come to or try and spend all our time coming to the 
maximize their solution or the perfect solution. Make a good enough decision, make a good enough solution with the information that we have, and then work like crazy, work hard to make that solution the right one. Make it work not just effectively, but really, really well for what we're trying to do. In an HBR article, uh, there's this quote, uh, we overemphasize the moment of choice and lose sight of everything that follows. Merely selecting the best option doesn't guarantee that results will turn out well in the long run. Just as making a suboptimal choice doesn't doom us to failure or unhappiness. It's what happens next and the days, months, or years that follow that ultimately determines whether a given decision was right. And I think that's exactly right. Uh, If we can make a decision, can iterate on it, move it forward, uh, it won't matter if it wasn't the most perfect decision out there. We can make it a good decision by working hard at it and making it work. Analysis paralysis can kill some of the, our best ideas and our best work, but ultimately it doesn't have to be that way. We can avoid death by data or analysis paralysis by taking action, even small actions, and then use our research and learning to iterate and improve along the way. It doesn't have to be perfect because nothing really is, but the movement in the right direction will always be better than lots of good intentions with no movement. So that is our episode for this week. If you haven't checked out the newsletter, it is Death by Data uh, at productthinking.cc. As always, I'm Kyle Evans. Uh, you can find me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter or at Kyle Larry Evans on Medium. And I will see you next time.